Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. We had such a phenomenal service at 9 o'clock. It's just amazing. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. This is in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, Therefore I say unto you, Do not worry. Do not worry about your life, about what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body. What you will put on it is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field which is today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry. This is the third time. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Can we say amen? Amen. So I'm going to preach about priorities and putting God first in our lives. Priorities and putting God first. But I wanted to, to really base it off this scripture, seek first the kingdom of God, and then all these things will be added unto you. So let me just deal with the context of this a little bit, and I think it will be a blessing to you. First of all, this, this teaching is right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is contained in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. It's the greatest body of ethical teaching known to man. It's just, the, it's just the greatest. You would do well to read it every year, if not more, and just think through it. I've preached through it through the years. And uh, I did a few years ago here at the church, preached through the Sermon on the Mount. And when I went through it afresh, I saw it kind of in a different light a little bit. I saw Jesus calling out the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and of the religious leaders of his day because he's contrasting how we should live to them You know, if you want to pray, don't pray like them. They're praying out in the open just to get seen by people. You go in your closet and pray. If you want to fast, don't fast like them. They're out here letting everybody see how they're suffering. Don't do that. If you fast, don't even tell anyone. If you want to give, don't give like they do. They make a big show of giving. You just don't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing. I think some of those statements he made doesn't mean we every time we fast can't tell a human soul or if we give, we can't give up front. I think he's making a strong statement to contrast the hypocrisy of the Pharisees as to how you and I should live. Now, some people have looked at the Sermon on the Mount and seen it as an impossibility. One of these was Martin Luther. Martin Luther looked at the Sermon on the Mount and thought, this is just unattainable. This is so high, I can't do it. And he said, so therefore it thrusts you to the feet of mercy. And it calls you to be broken and receive the grace of God. That's one way of looking at it. But this morning, in this passage, Jesus is not just contrasting how we should live to the Pharisees. He's contrasting how we should live to those who don't know God's kingdom at all. He's identifying them as Gentiles. 
He said, this is, how, this is how the Gentiles live. You're not to live like that. You're to live differently. And so when you think about this, it really is like, are you serious? Don't think about what we should wear. How many of y'all thought about what you should wear this morning? Okay. The rest of y'all just were dressed like George Jetson. It just You went on a <laughs> runway and... Come on, everybody thought about how you were to be dressed. How many of y'all thought about what you should eat this morning? The rest of you are fasting, I guess. How many of you thought about what to drink? I mean, come on. How many of y'all had some coffee this morning or some water or something? We all think about these things. We all think about what to wear, what to eat, what to drink. We think about these things. But I think the key here is, Jesus is saying, get your priorities straight. So he locates this, this, this powerful verse right in the midst of this don't worry stuff. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. I think what he's saying is, not that we shouldn't think about what to eat, what to wear, but, but put the kingdom first in everything. And when you put the kingdom first in everything, it takes the worry out of life. Or at least it should. And then you can think about what to eat and think about what to wear and think about what to drink and think about how to you want to plan tomorrow and not worry one drop about it. Because God's got it under control. That's good for you. Preach on, Brother Hans. That's great. First things are important. First things are important. When you put God first, it's, it's, it organizes, it, it synch, syncretizes, synchronizes the rest of your life. It puts everything in proper position. When you put Him first, come on, somebody say God first. Because when you put food first, that's not good. That's not eating to live. That's living to eat. When you put clothing first, it's not good. You're out of whack. Right? Put God first. And when you do, all the priorities line up. He is the priority. Haddon Robinson was a great seminary professor of preaching. And years ago, he, he said this. He said he looked at an old cookbook on how to cook a rabbit and make rabbit stew. And he said, first instructions were, go catch a rabbit. <laughs> go catch a rabbit. First thing you must do. First thing you must do in life, put the kingdom of God first. Seek it out first. Go seek the kingdom. Certain things about the kingdom. First of all, I think the kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven, some people have made much of this and said they're two separate things. I think they're used synonymously in Scripture. I think it's talking about the same thing. And kingdom came when Jesus came to earth preaching the kingdom. He came and he said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, meaning it's right here, right now. And the kingdom of heaven has come now into the hearts of people who believe. Come into the hearts of Christians. The kingdom is in you. Now the kingdom of God is in us all. It's in us all. 
And the kingdom is ever expanding. And the kingdom, we haven't seen the fullness of the kingdom. We will when he returns. But we're operating in kingdom power right now. And so when Rome would go conquer a territory, or the ancient Greeks did the same thing with Alexander the Great, when they would go conquer a territory, they would take the rule over that territory. They would set up their governors and their political system in that territory. And then they would bring the culture of that territory, of Rome or of Greece, to that territory. So they would come and they would build gymnasiums and they would build coliseums and they would build hippodromes and they would build palaces. They would erect statues of their gods and statues of Caesar because they wanted everybody to worship him. So it was, they wanted it so much to be like Rome and even their language so that if someone came from Rome, they would feel at home. Or if Caesar came to visit, he could feel at home. And so with us, God has given us the kingdom, and he's given us the kingdom to set up on earth. And where the kingdom is, the king is ruling. That's why Jesus said, let it be on earth as it is in heaven. Let it be on earth as it is in heaven. Hallelujah. Heaven sounds awesome to me when I read about it in Scripture. Bring it to earth, Lord. Let it be in our lives and let us spread heaven around every day. You ever think about yourself like that? I'm going to spread a little heaven around every day. I'm going to get up and every, every place I go, every person I contact, they're contacting somebody who's an ambassador from another kingdom. I'm an ambassador from another kingdom. I've been sent as an ambassador of Christ. And since I'm an ambassador from his kingdom, he has protection over me. He's given me orders. He has provision. If I need more provision, I just get on the phone to headquarters. And I ask to be linked into the king. I don't know where I'm going right here, but it's good. Amen. And I ask to call up the king. And then I ask the king for a special grant and special privilege. And he says, well, I already told you anything you ask in my name, I'll do it. So then he sends his angels as messengers and dispatchers and says, you go now take Hans what he needs. He's down there representing me as an ambassador and he's under special authority. I lived in Washington, D.C. for nine years and in Washington, D.C. there are all kinds of diplomats there. And diplomats have a special tag on their car. It's a diplomatic tag. They're in America, but... And it became a problem sometimes, but they're still under the rule of their home country. Not only that, an embassy was basically a piece of that country in our country. So if you go overseas and you get, you have a situation, you're in trouble, or if you make it to an American embassy, you can find safety and they'll work out the situation for you. Why? Because you just entered America. Oh, hallelujah. So I don't know if y'all knew it this morning, but you entered heaven here. You entered the culture, the kingdom of heaven. You know, when people walk in our house, they enter heaven. It's, it's the culture of heaven here on earth. No, we, ain't, we aren't not in heaven yet. Don't freak out. But nonetheless, the culture and the power and the rule 
and the representatives are right here, right now. Heaven on earth. Seek first the kingdom of heaven and all these things will be added unto you. So I'm going to give you three things here this morning about, uh, about seeking him first, putting him first, and how it causes worry to break off your life. How it's going to cause worry to break off your life. First of all, you shouldn't worry because worry is, worrying is not trusting. If we worry, it's really evidence that we're not trusting. We're not trusting God. It's antithetical to faith, really, for me to sit around and worry. Because what I'm doing when I'm worrying, I'm sitting around trying to figure out the scenarios and play the different scenarios into my mind, and I'm carrying the burden of something. As one man said, worry is paying interest on a debt you don't owe. Worrying is paying interest on a debt you don't owe. It's not your debt. you got to give it to the Lord. And if you put Him in first priority and you're living your life and seeking righteousness, right living, if you're organizing your life according to the kingdom, then, then you need to walk in faith. And worry is not of faith. It, worry is not a product of faith. Trust is a product of faith. Come on, somebody. If you notice in the book of Hebrews, there's a hall of faith there, and he starts talking about great men of faith. He talks about Enoch, and he talks about Abel, and he talks about Abraham, and he talks about Noah. Think about these guys. Don't you think they were, they were tempted to worry sometimes? But instead of worrying, they chose to trust and to walk in faith. Think about Abraham. God comes and speaks to him when he's in the Ur of the Chaldees. And he says, get out of your country and away from your family, and I'll show you the place you're going to. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And he had faith to see. As my mother-in-law used to say, he could see beyond his nose. He had faith to get way out there and see what God wanted him to do. And he, got, and he left all based on that word from God. That's faith. When you step out and trust God and put him first, well, how are we going to make it? Well, I don't know. Well, how's God going to, I don't know. Well, what's people going to say? I don't know. I'm not going to deal with that. I'm going to set that over to the side, and I'm going to put God first and step out and do what he says. That's living in faith. Oh, hallelujah. Come on, do you expect anything to happen in your life? I'm expecting great things to happen in my life. I'm expecting to do great things for the kingdom. I believe I've only just begun. We really feel like that, that we've only just begun to do the things that God's called us to do. Hallelujah. I, I could say a lot. How many of y'all believe you just kind of, just only just begun? You just feel like you're just ready to, I mean, you know, people who aren't expecting anything are not walking in faith. I want to walk in faith. There was a church years ago that I knew where a great evangelist came to, and he was being hosted by a university. And this great evangelist came to this church, and he gave an altar call at the end, and he all these people started flooding the altar, and he asked the pastor to get the prayer team up there, and uh, he didn't have anybody. And the evangelist left. Maybe I shouldn't tell this because I know it's on TV, but I'm already out there now. But... Lord. But anyhow, a friend of mine drove the evangelist home that night and he said, you can tell when a church isn't expecting anything. I don't want to live like that. I want the church to be, I want to build. I want to build. I want to grow. I want to blow some walls out. I want to see some, I want to hire some more staff. I want to see, I want to send out more missionaries and church planners. Come on, get your faith out there, man. If you come to church and think, well, I've just got to go through this and check it off the box, you know. 
and you don't expect anything, no, come expecting something. Expect to get a word. Expect to be encouraged. Expect a miracle. Expect something good to happen to you. Don't live. The alternative is you can live in just a lackadaisical, useless existence. You don't want that. And you don't want to live in worry. What is it, Proverbs? It says the lazy man says, oh gosh, there's a lion in the street. Better stay at home today. (laughs) You know, we can make up any excuse not to do something. You can make up any excuse to worry. Worry, be gone in Jesus' name. Have faith that God's going to do what he said he's going to do. Noah, by faith, built an ark. According to what I read in Scripture, it had never rained on the face of the planet. The planet was was nurtured by water from dew coming up in the morning. And the heavens retained water. But then God told Noah, build an ark. What's an ark? <laughs> I'm going to give you the instructions. I want you to build out a gopher wood. and blah, 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 blah. I'll give you all. Okay, he starts building. Now the New Testament tells us he was a preacher of righteousness. So he was building and he was somehow communicating his faith to the people, whether by action or by word or by both. And so he's a preacher of righteousness building on this ark. They didn't have power tools. They didn't have Milwaukee saws and all that stuff. He had to do it by hand, brother. And so it took him a long time to build that ark. That was a long time for him to settle into worrying. God, what if it doesn't rain? Lord, what if I heard wrong? Lord, what are people going to think of me? Lord, what if, this, what if it doesn't float? What if this thing doesn't pass a test? What if it doesn't work? What if the animals won't come? We don't read anywhere where he thought of those things. I'm sure he was tempted to, but he just kept building because he was a man of faith. If you worry too much, you'll never get anything accomplished for the Lord. You just have to set it aside and say, God, I'm going to step out and I'm going to do what you're calling me to. Worrying is not trusting and I'm going to cast worry aside and put the kingdom first. Somebody put your hands together and give the Lord a praise. (laughs) Worrying is not according to God's character. If we really study the character of God in Scripture, we should take comfort and be people of faith and not have to worry. First of all, God is called Yahweh in Scripture. And Yahweh was, you know, the the Hebrews wouldn't even pronounce that word because it was so holy through the centuries. So it got translated in different ways, eventually coming out Jehovah in in that and Adonai in the Old Testament. But anyhow, but it means the self-existent one, the one who exists He is a covenant-keeping God who always exists. In fact, in the book of Exodus in chapter 2 and 3, when God comes and speaks to Moses to go set the children of Israel free from Egyptian bondage, Moses has all these objections. And one of them is, Lord, who shall I say sent me? He said, you tell them that I am that I am has sent you. What does that mean? I, I I am the one who exists. I am the one who exists. I exist today and I exist tomorrow. It's not existed or will exist. It's I I am. I am yesterday. I am today. I will be the I am tomorrow. So when you get down to Egypt, I'm going to be the same God that I am on this mountain with you. When you get down there and face Pharaoh and all you have is a shepherd's staff, I'll be the same God that I am appearing to you in a burning bush that's not consumed now. 
People, we should take heart in that. Tomorrow, God's going to be the same God he is today. He's going to be the same God he was the day you got saved. He's going to be the same God he was the day that God performed a miracle in your life or God baptized you in the Holy Spirit. He's the same God next week, next month, next year, next decade, next century. He's the same God. He was a healer then. He's a healer now. He was a sanctifier then. He's a sanctifier now. He was a deliverer then. He's a deliverer now. And he's going to be all that tomorrow. Come on, somebody. Raise your hand and say, Lord, I believe. Hallelujah. I believe you are. He said, Moses, it's going to be all right because I am. Don't worry about it. Don't worry. Be happy. Go on down to Egypt. Just be happy. Then the Bible says that he's called Elohim, which is a plural form. We believe it's the plural of majesty, that God is so amazing, he comes in, we have to speak of him in plurality. And when you look at him as Elohim, it appears a lot, in the, over 2,000 times in the Old Testament, and especially in the creation narratives of the, of the book of Genesis. So when we think about God as Elohim, it means he's the one who creates. So he created the stars, the sun, the moon, the lands, the universe, the planets, the seas, the mountains. He created it all. He created it all. And it's still awesome to look at. Dana and I were in Montana last week, and we got out 15 degrees, icy roads, snow everywhere. And I looked at those mountains, and I thought, gosh, this is beautiful. It's gorgeous. I come back and see the sunsets in Carolina. I didn't see those growing up because I was raised in the mountains, but I got to come down here, and I see the sunset, and I'm just like, this is the most beautiful sunset I've ever seen in my life. You go out to the beach and stand there on the beach and just look as far as you can see until you can't see anymore and just stand in awe. Amen? I love a fall day. I love a summer day. I love a spring day. I love a winter day. <laughs> I love all seasons. I just, I just, I, God, so what's it tell me? Tomorrow when I wake up and see the sunrise, I know my God is still existing and he's still for me. When I see the sun go down in the evening, I know my God is still real and he's still in control of everything. When I go out to the ocean and I see by the power of his word, he's held the seas back, the Bible says. He's held the seas in place by the power of his word. That means I know his word is still working and his word's still going to work on the next day and the next day and the next day. When you, some of you hunters get out there in the woods and you are all silent and you're creaking and you're crunching leaves under you and you're listening to the birds realize God is still in control amen when some of you fishermen are out there fishing and you you feel that breeze and you're rocking in that boat you realize my God is still in control and he's got stuff under this water that's going to blow my mind and I'm going to catch some good ones and then some of you golfers like me, you get to do all of it in one time. You get to golf, hunt, and fish all at the same time because I'm hunting for balls in the woods and fishing for them out of the ponds. Hallelujah. <laughs> Glory to God. Anyhow, know that God's still in control. Come on, how many can lift your head and say, my God's in control. Therefore, why should I worry? Look at somebody and say, "God, if God's in control, then why am I worrying? 
The Bible says that Abraham went up on Mount Moriah and he was going to sacrifice his son at the, to obey the command of God. And he goes up there to sacrifice his, his son and this is the most precious thing to him. His son was going to carry on the covenant. His son was going to be the one to fulfill all those promises and all those times that God had appeared to Abraham. And you think about it. When he went there, he had so much faith. Don't you think he had an open door to worry? He could think about, well, what am I going to do now? If this boy dies, we're not going to have any covenant. All the promises of God are going to fail. I love him dearly. I had him when I was 100 years old. Mike, could you imagine how attached he was to that boy? But the Bible says in the New Testament that he believed God, that he had so much faith that he believed if he did kill him, that God would resurrect him from the dead. <laughs> That's how much faith he had in the promise of God. So when he took his traveling band to Mount Moriah, he had all those fellows there with him, and he said, me and the lad are going yonder to worship, and we will return. So they get up on top of that mountain and the boy's carrying the wood and they're carrying a fire and they get up there and they lay it all down and he said, here's the altar and here's the wood and here's the fire, Dad, but where's the sacrifice? And Abraham looks at his son and said, my God will provide. And then he raises, ties his son to the altar and raises the knife and as he get, gets ready to plunge in the blade, the angel of the Lord calls out and says, stop it, you've proven yourself faithful to God. And they looked over and a ram was caught in a thicket that God had provided. Come on, that was called Jehovah Jireh. My God will provide. He's the God who sees. Why am I worrying? My God's my source, hallelujah. Wall Street's not your source and Washington, D.C.'s not your source and Raleigh's not your source. Our source goes a little bit higher into the third heaven. He said, I will supply all your need according to my riches and glory. I own a cattle on a thousand hills and as a country preacher said, and the taters in them hills. Hallelujah. God owns it every bit. Come on. Can somebody give a shout to the Jehovah Jireh? Hey, hallelujah. Woo. Exodus chapter 15, the Israelites come out of Egypt and God meets them and he says, if you obey my commands, I will put none of these diseases on you that I put upon the Egyptians because I am the Lord that healeth thee. Right there is the name Jehovah Rapha wrapped up into that, meaning God is a healing God. And if he, that's his character, then his character has never changed. Some people have a theology that only miracles happened in the New Testament to establish the gospel. Then after that, we don't need miracles anymore. Well, I have a problem with that because if that's the truth, then it means God's character was one thing in the first century, but now is something different in the 21st century. Or maybe his character was something in the third century BC, but now it's something different in the 21st century. But that isn't the Bible I read. The Bible I read says Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he was a healer then, he's a healer now. If he healed you in the past, he can heal you in the future. If he was a healer to the Egyptian or to the Egyptian Exodus to Israel. He was a healer in the Israelites in the kingdom. He was a healer in the wilderness. He was a healer through the prophets. He was a healer through the ministry of Jesus. He was a healer in the apostles. That means he's a healer in our lives today. Come on, somebody shout out Jehovah Rapha and give him a praise. I'm going to have to get in shape to preach like this. Jesus called God Abba at one point. Abba, Father. Paul called him Abba, Father. And Abba was a term of endearment. It's like saying dad or something very endearing like that. And so it 
talks of, it, it, it represents or denotes the, the character of God as a father who loves us, who cares for us, who is tender with us. That's the God. That's the God Jesus revealed. Abba. Come on, can you just say it? Abba. Abba, Father. Abba, Father. I have on my phone somewhere where my grandson Maverick uh, was, was, when he was really little, just learning to say a few syllables, uh, my, my daughter called me and, and or actually texted me a video. And in it, he looks and he has no expression. He goes, Papa. Papa. I've watched that thing a thousand times probably. <laughs> Don't you think God loves us like that? Yeah. That when we come to him and say, Father, I love you. Jesus, I love you. That he opens up his arms. And if I'm loved like that, why should I worry? Why should I worry? You know, we have to learn to doubt. Because little kids believe. You tell them Santa Claus is real, they believe it. You tell them the Easter Bunny is real, they believe it. You tell them there's a tooth fairy and put money under the pillow, they believe it. It takes experience to break down that belief. You have to learn to doubt. I don't want to learn to doubt God. I want to learn to keep believing in Him and just build on that faith. Come on, somebody, because He's my Abba Father. He's my Abba Father. He is all that. Come on, somebody, shout hallelujah. In the book of, in the book of Exodus, chapter 17, Moses stands on a mountain while Joshua goes out to battle the Amalekites. And Moses stretched forth his hands and his staff. And when he would, Joshua would win the battle. And then after he got tired and he let his hands down, Joshua would start losing the battle. So two men, Aaron and Hur, came up and held up Moses' hands. And they held up his hands until Joshua had completely defeated the Midianites or the Amalekites. And he built an altar there and he called the name of that altar Jehovah Nissi. The Lord is our banner. Meaning that when we go into battle, God is the one fighting. Because that's what that story proves. That it wasn't just about Moses. It was about the power of God somehow working through Moses to make sure God was winning the battle. He used the human being who was getting tired. But the name of the place was Jehovah Nissi. God is the fighter the victor, the one who comes out and fights our battles for us. Come on, somebody needs this word today. When Jehoshaphat faced the enemy armies and they were surrounded on every side and outnumbered, he didn't know what to do, so he did the smartest thing he could do. He called a prayer meeting and they went and prayed and stood before the Lord and the Spirit of the Lord came upon a prophet named Jehaziel and the Bible says he stood up and prophesied and he said, Be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude for the battle is not yours but it's God's. Come on, somebody needs to hear that. Raise your hand with me. The battle is not mine, it is God's. He is my Jehovah Nisi. Come on, shout it out. He is my Jehovah Nisi. And what did Jehoshaphat do? They went into battle praising God all the way in and they just showed up and the, the enemies had been confounded and the Lord set ambushments and they were destroyed and they had left the battlefield and the, and the Israelites just walked up and took all the spoil home. 
didn't have to pull a sword because God had shown up and fought their battles for them. Can somebody shout amen? In the book of Judges chapter 6, God comes and calls a man named Gideon who was afraid. He was shaking in his boots. He was threshing wheat behind a wine press because he was afraid of the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord comes to him and calls out and says, Gideon, thou mighty man of valor. And I think Gideon was thinking, who's he talking to? But no, I'm talking to you, man. You are the mighty man of valor. And God comes and calls him to go and face the Midianites, which he eventually does. And God whittles down his army to 300 men. And they went out and defeated a massive army because they obeyed the commander of the Lord of hosts. And what happened after he was called in chapter 6, he builds an altar there and he calls it Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is peace. You think about it. In the midst of conflict, in the midst of his insecurities, in the midst of all of this battle, God comes and declares peace over his life. Hallelujah. I don't know what you're going through this morning, but maybe you need to raise a hand and say, God, I just thank you that you are Jehovah Shalom over my life. If you go to Israel today, everyone greets one another with that greeting, shalom. It means peace. But I've also heard it can mean things are now as they should be. Things are now as they should be. Shalom. I declare God is my shalom and in Him things are as they should be. Come on, somebody shout with me this morning. Not only that, Genesis chapter 17, God appears to Abram and says, I am the El Shaddai. Walk before me and be blameless. I am the one who provides. I am the one who's coming with a megaton of blessings. I'm the one who's coming with the ability to perform my covenant words. I'm the one who's going to come and work my wonders through you. No wonder we show up in Psalm chapter 91 and that term El Shaddai is used again. Hallelujah. He who dwells in the secret place of the El Shaddai shall abide under the shadow of the El Shaddai. I don't know about you, but God is my El Shaddai this morning, providing for me yesterday, providing for me today, and providing for me in my future. Can somebody shout amen? I don't know about you, but I'm about to run around this property right now. Hallelujah. God is on my side. If he's all that, then why should I be worrying? If he's my El Shaddai, why should I worry? If he's my Jehovah Rapha, why should I worry? If he's my Jehovah Nisi, why should I worry? If he's Yahweh and Elohim, why should I worry? If God really is who he says in scripture, then why am I spending my nights worrying? Worry be gone in Jesus' name. Fret be gone in Jesus' name. Be free, hallelujah. Come on, look at somebody and just say, be free of that. Well, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, somebody getting set free of worry right now. You know, worry wears you out. Worry hurts your body. Worry destroys your flesh. It'll destroy your flesh. It'll, 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 it'll drive you. You can't, you got to stop it in Jesus' name. One more thing and we're going to go home. Worrying is not produced from joy. 
Worrying isn't produced from joy. And the Bible says the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. What is the kingdom? Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. The kingdom's about joy. So when the kingdom comes and comes into your life, he brings joy into your life. He brings a joy that the world couldn't give. He brings a joy that the world can't take away. He gives you joy in the midst of circumstances that you never thought you could be joyful in. He comes and takes the blues away. All we have are the happies now. He takes the blues away. He comes and just takes that venom and just sucks it out of you. Hallelujah. He bore our griefs and sorrows. He takes all that and just sucks it out, injects joy back into our lives. Christians should be the happiest people on planet earth. We are the happiest people on planet earth. This should be the happiest church in Elizabeth City. We should be the happiest state in the United States. Our city should be the happiest city in the United States. We might be the hot chocolate capital of the world. But I believe we can be the joy capital of the world, don't you? Oh, hallelujah, why? Because got a bunch of kingdom people walking around, revival coming. With revival comes joy. It's hard to worry when you're laughing so hard, you're just belly laughing. It's hard to worry. How many of you have ever just laughed at the devil? I mean, he, the devil came and tried to do his stuff, and you recognized the attack, and you made it, and he's under your feet. And then you just went, <laughs> you did. You dude, you tried, but you lost. You couldn't take me out. You didn't have the authority to take me out. <laughs> Sometimes I manufacture a laugh. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. Some of you need to try it. You need to try it. Ha, 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 Go ahead and do it. Ha, 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 ha. Come on, it sounds stupid and it feels weird, but go ahead and just laugh at the devil right now. And when you start doing that, you know what starts happening? You really start laughing. And then when you see somebody else laugh, you laugh more. And I'll tell you a story. I was in my uh, ch first church I ever pastored. I was all alone in my office one day. as the only person in the building. And I put in an old cassette, worship cassette. And I started listening to it. And the Holy Ghost came on me. And I started laughing uncontrollably. And I, 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 the only thought I had was, well, first of all, I love Jesus and I'm just so happy. But the only thought I had was, if somebody walks in right now, So they're going to call some authorities or something's going to happen. I don't know. I've, have you ever had that hit you like that? I've had joy hit me like that. A few years ago, Ted Shuttlesworth was here, and he came in, and he said, this is a night of joy. And he laid hands on me in the platform, and I laid out laughing uncontrollably, drunk. Drunk in the Holy Ghost. You know you can get drunk in the Holy Ghost? Absolutely. But when you get drunk in the Holy Ghost, you have full senses full control of yourself, full control of your senses, and you don't have a headache the next morning, and you don't worry about what you did the night before. Oh, come on, somebody. Hallelujah. Drunk in the, be not drunk with wine, where's an excess, but be filled with the Spirit. 
They're compared and contrasted. Be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with joy. Worry, be gone in Jesus' name. I declare joy over every one of you right now. Come on, depression goes and anxiety goes and joy comes. Oh, hallelujah, worry, get behind us. I'm serving the risen Lord, hallelujah. I take hold of joy this morning. I take hold of happiness. I take hold of victory right now. I take hold of the name of the Lord, hallelujah. Glory to God. Somebody stand on your feet and just give him some joy and just express some love to him right now, hallelujah. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Come on, just raise your voice right now, hallelujah. Lord, we just declare joy in this house, joy over our life, joy over our families, joy over our homes in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, hallelujah. God, I give you praise, I give you praise, I give you praise, I give you praise, I give you praise. Hallelujah, I give you praise, I give you praise, I give you praise. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. Hallelujah. You know, in the book of Luke, chapter 10, Jesus sends out 70 disciples. And he sends them out to do ministry. So they go preach the gospel. They heal the sick and cast out devils. And when they come back, they're all ecstatic and they're excited that they can cast out demons. And Jesus said, hold on, boys. Don't get, don't get too happy about that, but rather be excited that your names are written in heaven. And then the Bible says, evidently they went back by the campfire or something, and it says that Jesus rejoiced. That he rejoiced. And that term in the original language means he rejoiced exceedingly. He rejoiced exceedingly. Now, I don't know if the Greek holds this or not, but I was on TV with a guy recently, and he said that he studied it, and he read a definition where it was it could be translated like this. Jesus leapt for joy and jumped and spun around. Can you, let's picture it. The disciples come back, Lord, even the demons are subject to your name. He says, I'm telling you, I saw Satan fall like lightning. When you guys went out, I saw him crash down like lightning. You crushed the kingdom of the enemy. The principalities were shaken when you went out in my name. Woo! Hallelujah. And guess what, best of all? Your names are written in heaven. Hallelujah. (laughs) Oh, glory to God. What if he did it? If nothing else, he was exceedingly joyful. Oh, yes. You healed some sick people. That's what I've been trying to get you to see. You cast out some demons. Come on, how can you have dead church when you have scriptures like that? Come on, some of y'all need to rejoice like Jesus did. Come on, some of you need to get happy like Jesus did. Some of you need to start laughing and giving him some praise right now. Give him a hand wave. Do something. Well, this joy that I have, come on, say it. World didn't give it to me. 
Well, this joy that I have, the world didn't give it to me. Come on, the world didn't give it, and the world can't take it away. Father, I give you praise right now in Jesus' name for everybody in this building. Lord, I just pray right now we bind up the spirit of depression and command it to go in Jesus' name. Worry be gone in Jesus' name. Father, we just pray a, a freedom in this house right now, and I thank you for joy, joy, joy coming in the name of Jesus, and I give you praise. Come on, can everybody put your hands together and give the Lord a praise? Hey guys, thanks so much for watching and listening to the podcast, and I hope these sermons have been a great blessing and source of encouragement to your life. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you're facing today, Jesus is the answer. I can tell you, He is the answer for your life. I'd love to pray with you before we leave here. So if you never accepted Christ into your life, or if you just have a need in your life, let's lift it up to the Lord right now. Come on, pray with me. Lord Jesus, wash me from all sin. I accept you into my life. I repent of all sin, and I place you on the throne seat of my heart. Lord, I pray right now, you minister to each and every one who just prayed that short prayer with me. Whatever situation they're facing, give them grace right now. Give them the power they need to get through it, Lord. Give miracle signs and wonders today, Lord, to those listening in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. We declare it done in Jesus' name. Love you guys. Thank you for tuning in and listening and watching us.